Hello? Hey, it's a four-way. Is everybody on? Yeah, I'm here. What's up? Present. Oh my god, you're never gonna believe what I just heard. Bitch, we need to be in person for this one. I'm on my way. I'll grab the champagne. Perfect. See you guys in 10. Welcome back, toppers. Um, listen, you're stuck with me again, so buckle up, because it's gonna be a wild one. I know I'm also a little bit late. This was supposed to come out at 12 in the afternoon, and I'm pretty sure it's gonna be coming out. Well, I already know it is, because it's already four o'clock in the afternoon when I'm recording this right now, so it's coming out way overdue. Sorry, I have no excuses. I'm not even gonna try to make something up. Anyway, this story, you guys, I need to give the biggest trigger warning, disclaimer. Uh, I don't I don't even know how to go about this. It involves a child. It's a murder case. Take that as you will. Uh, it's gruesome. I'm not going to be holding back on some of the details that are involved. Some of them are very graphic. It has to do with sexual assault. It has to do with the murder of a child and everything that goes along with that. So you proceed at your own risk, okay? Okay, let's get into it. So today, we're going to be talking about the case of Maddie Clifton. The case takes place in Jacksonville, Florida in the year of 1998. Madeline Ray Clifton, born June 17, 1990, was only eight years old at the time of this crime. She lived with her mom, Sheila, father, Steve, and older sister, Jessie, who was 11 at the time. Maddie and her sister were inseparable. Maddie was super creative and loved to dance. She loved music and could play the piano. She also loved sports such as football and hockey and mostly was considered a tomboy by everyone who knew her. On November 3rd, 1998, she planned to go outside and play with friends. Normally, her and her friends would knock on doors and ask each other if they wanted to come out and play that day. This day, none of her friends wanted to come out and play, so she decided to start playing outside alone. Eventually, some friends came outside and they all started playing golf until they ran out of balls. Maddie knew she had some at home, so she ran to grab them. She told her friends that she would be right back. She never returned. This was the last anyone ever saw her. Her friends assumed that it was her dinner time, and the reason she didn't come back to play was because her parents wanted her to stay in for the night. By five o'clock, it was time for dinner, so her parents sent her older sister Jessie out on her bike to get Maddie and bring her home. Jessie rode up and down the street yelling for Maddie and was not able to find her. Eventually, they called the police in on the case. I just want to note that I kind of separated the case into different sections, so we're going to be going back to certain parts and going more into detail about it. I don't want to give anything away in the beginning, if that makes sense. So you'll realize that we go back to some parts or it's kind of broken down into sections. So right now I'm just going over the general case and then we'll get into um, specific people as well as what actually happened and so on and so forth. You'll understand once you hear more. Anyway, while waiting for the police, the family went outside searching and yelling for Maddie. Soon, they were joined by neighbors. They did this all night and into the morning. After a few days, over a thousand volunteers had joined the search. The media and police interviewed all the neighbors and no one knew anything. They either didn't see her or they just saw her playing golf before she went missing. They assumed it was a local because if someone had seen them walking the street together, they would not have become suspicious of them. They decided to run background checks on everyone in the neighborhood. Nothing came up besides a man named Larry Grusham. Gr- I think that's how you pronounce his last name. Grusham? Grisham? I don't know. His first name's Larry, so we're just going to go by Larry. He lived three houses down and had a previous sexual assault charge from 15 to 20 years prior. They were dropped, so he was never convicted. They were all allegations and were never proven. It's also important to note that they weren't sexual assaults of children. They made sure to 
clarify that. It turns out that Larry was one of the last people to have seen Maddie before she went missing. The people who were playing golf with Maddie that evening were an older boy and Larry. He was questioned and found innocent. They checked his alibi and asked the other boy who was playing with him and Maddie and everybody confirmed his story. To be sure, they even gave him a polygraph test, but he failed. They searched his home nine times throughout the investigation and found nothing. He was eventually ruled out as a suspect. Could you imagine? I, okay, first, when I was reading this case, immediately when I heard Larry's name, I was like, this guy did it. There is no way as an older man, you're outside playing with a ch- two children. You're just outside playing with two children and you have a previous like assault allegation, quote unquote, on you and you didn't do it. I was like, Larry, you're, you're sus. Yeah, I think you did it, Larry. And then I guess, I don't know. Up until this point, I still this is this is not the story. This is still my opinion I'm giving right now. Thank you. Um, thank you all for caring so much, but we're going to keep rolling with it. I assumed until every time I was reading and they brought a new, uh, I don't want to call them characters because these are real people. Every time they mentioned a new person who was involved in the case, I automatically assumed it was them who did it. And when they said Larry's name, I full-blown thought it was him. I, I'm not going to give anything away. There are many people who are introduced to the story. The outcome is crazy. Uh, Yeah, let's just move on. So, like I said, they searched his house nine times throughout the investigation and found nothing. He was eventually ruled out as a suspect. Jesse, Maddie's sister, later came out and said Larry had been portrayed very bad during all of this. When all the kids would play, the parents would take turns keeping an eye on the children in the neighborhood, including Larry, who had two older kids who were grown up and moved away. They never saw it as creepy. The children and the parents always found him as a very nice, normal guy. Okay. So that was the end of the general story. I'm not going to go over the outcome yet just because that'll give it all away. We're going to now we're going to backtrack to the golf portion of the story. So back to the golf story. The older boy offered to walk Maddie home and wait for her while she checked to get the balls. Because remember, I had mentioned that um, they were all playing golf and they ran out of golf balls. I don't know. I know this was like the late 90s, but how do you how do you play golf like in your backyard? I I I don't know. I didn't get it. Like how and then how do you lose all the balls? Like are you literally just just swinging this shit out of this into neighbors' yards and just like mm, four watch out and then you just I don't know. I don't know how they were playing golf, but whatever. So this older boy offered to walk Maddie home to check for more golf balls. Right when I heard this part. Okay, this is, I forget that you can't see my facial expressions during this, but now I'm not telling the story. I'm giving my opinion. When I heard this part, I was like, oh, the older boy did it. We got a new suspect. This older boy's name was Justin. Justin walked Maddie home and they both went inside the house. Justin waited downstairs with Jessie while she was practicing the piano while Maddie went upstairs to look for more golf balls. She was taking a while, so Justin finally said, that he was going to go back outside and play, and when she found the balls, she can come back out and meet them. Maddie eventually realized she was being very loud and annoying her older sister, Jessie, who was trying to practice the piano, so she ended up leaving the house without finding the golf balls. This is when she went missing. Justin ended up being cleared as a suspect as well. I don't know how, but whatever. I'm not giving anything away. I'm just saying. <laughs> Could you? That was that was last moment she was found. I would feel, I don't know. That's so crazy to me, because like, They were saying how it was still daytime, clearly, because 
the parents ended up sending Jesse out around five to look for Maddie to bring her home for dinner. So it was broad daylight and this poor little girl ends up just going missing randomly with like people outside and stuff. Like I, the world is a scary place. The police ended up bringing in the FBI. Officers were staying at the house 24-7 with Jesse because they were not sure if the family was a target specifically or if this was a random act of violence. Many days went by and it didn't look good. It's common. I think everyone knows this um, after, I don't know exactly how many hours, but I believe it's after 24 hours of a missing person's case. The probability of finding them alive is very slim. So um, at this point, the police decided to start looking for a body using divers and sniffer dogs instead of a living person. I hate to say that, but instead of a, I, I don't know. I don't know what word to use, but they were looking for a body now at this point in the investigation. A reward for $50,000 was put up for Maddie's safe return home and soon doubled to $100,000. On November 10th, 1998, exactly one week after Maddie went missing, police finally had a huge break in the case and a new suspect. Take a moment. Um, if you want to guess who did it, I'll let you. You're not going to get it. So we're going to move on because you definitely didn't get it because the person we're about to talk to has not been mentioned in the story yet, but he is the biggest part of this case. He, Jesus Christ. I, I don't know. You know, nature versus nurture. How are, how are children born like this? Because this, uh, we'll move on. The lead came from one of the neighbors. The Phillips family lived right across the street. The Phillips was a family of a mother, Melissa, a father, Steve, and their 14-year-old son, Josh. They were a family that helped in the initial search for Maddie and also helped print flyers and put them around town. Josh did occasionally play with some of the kids on the street, not too much though due to his age. It was known that he did have a small crush on Maddie's older sister, Jessie. So now we're going to get into, um, this is going to be the graphic. I, trigger warning, from now until the end of the story, it's going to be pretty graphic. This is the portion of the story where we talk about how Maddie's found and then what happened to her. So I'm forewarning you again. You have every chance to back out, click off, go listen to another episode because it's going to get a little gruesome from here. And I mean, no disrespect to the family or anyone that I talk about in any of my stories. Okay, we're going to move on. I need to mentally prepare myself too. Okay, Melissa. Josh's mom had noticed a horrible smell coming from Josh's room while he was at school one day. He had a few birds, so she thought it was due to him not cleaning the cage out very often. It was worse than normal though, so she decided to go in and clean his room to get rid of the smell for him. While she was cleaning, she looked near his bed and noticed a little wet spot. He did have a waterbed, so she thought it was just leaking. She went over to the bed to find the source of the leak and saw that Josh had tried taping up the corner of the waterbed himself. She saw the tape in the corner was stuck to a sock, which she tried to pull free, but it would not come loose. She ended up taking all the tape off of the waterbed, but she still could not get the sock out. She left the room in search of a flashlight. She came back, lifted the waterbed to see what the sock was caught on, and saw Maddie. She didn't know what to do, so she ended up calling her husband and left a panicked voicemail. She couldn't wait for her husband to come home or respond to her call, so she went directly outside of the house and over to the Cliftons, who lived directly across the street, where she knew an officer would be stationed with Jesse to tell them what she had found. They called for backup and went in to recover the body. After it was confirmed to be Maddie, the family was informed that she had been found. This all happened around 8 a.m. while Josh was at school, so they took the opportunity to search Josh's room. They found tons of air fresheners and incense he was using to try to hide the smell. Because remember, at this point, it had been a week since Maddie went missing, and body decomposes at a pretty quick rate, especially if it's not in, like, a cool environment. 
So I could only imagine what that room freaking smelled like. Anyway, moving on. They found a baseball bat hidden under his drawers and a pen knife hidden behind his TV, as well as tape hidden in different areas of his room as well. In his closet, they found a pair of his shoes with blood stains on them and blood spatter on his ceiling fan. On one of his bookshelves, they found one of Maddie's missing posters taped. Taped to his headboard was what they believed to reveal the motive of the crime. Behind a bunch of pillows was a picture of Jessie, Maddie's older sister. The picture had been stolen from the family's home a few weeks prior. Larry, who was the older gentleman that we spoke of before, had informed the police that one time Maddie had told him about her parents' new rules banning Josh from their house and speaking to the girls. A few reasons were because Josh told the girls a sexual joke, and then one time the girls and their grandma arrived home to find one of the windows broken in and all the furniture vandalized by a staple gun. They never found out 100% who did it, but they believed it was him. One night, the parents were home alone, sitting downstairs when they heard a noise from above. They went to inspect the noise and found Josh standing in Jesse's room. This is when they believed that he stole the picture of Jesse that was taped behind his pillows on his headboard. They went to Josh's school and arrested him there. He had a normal life with loving parents. He did decent in school and had a lot of friends. He did outside school activities and sports. In the first first interview josh just began talking and confessing to the crime so that was the end of another section of them finding maddie okay so now we're going to talk about so when josh went into uh oh my god i'm blanking what is that word like the interview room interrogation room uh, what am i uh, i'm losing my mind when josh went into the integrity interrogation i can't talk room this is the story what i'm about to read to you that he gave his version of events which were later proved to be mostly false uh i think he was just trying to cover his ass honestly like he still admitted to the crime but the way he admitted to it was not accurate you'll understand but this what i'm about to read is his version of what happened so his story begins we're gonna backtrack again i'm gonna remind you that maddie had went and knocked on all these kids doors to ask them if they wanted to come outside and play and everyone said no so she ended up playing outside alone so we're gonna go back to that stage in the story so it began when she was playing alone outside He was the last house she knocked on to ask to play. He had said no because his parents weren't home and he didn't have permission to go outside and play. He changed his mind and went out and got her when he saw her leaving her house. By leaving her house, that's this is the part. She was leaving her house after she couldn't find the golf balls and was going to go back and meet that kid, but ended up never meeting anyone again. So this is when he went out, said he changed his mind and wanted to go play. They went to play baseball in his backyard. She was pitching to him and he was batting. Everything was fine until he hit one and it hit her in the eye. She was yelling and crying in pain and she started to bleed. He panicked and knew he was going to get in so much trouble. He knew his parents would be home any minute. He decided to drag her inside his house and to his bedroom. He covered her mouth and yelled at her, trying to make her to stop. Not knowing what to do, he picked up the baseball bat and hit her over the head with it twice. He then hit her body under his bed. So that was his version of events. Clearly, we know that that's not what happened. There's a lot of physical evidence that goes against basically every single part of what he said because he's a freaking psychopath. I like, okay, let me, I'm going to pick apart what he said happened real quick. First of all, I don't understand why, okay, he changed his mind to go outside and play. Whatever. He can do that. But if you accidentally hit a little kid in the eye, I don't care if you're 14, if you're five, if you're 32. How in the world would dragging them inside and trying to cover their mouth to have them stop? How would any of that make them stop crying? Come on now. You're, come on now. Okay, so what I'm about to say now is what police theorize based 
off of evidence what happened. This is how it goes. None of her injuries were consistent with being accidentally hit with a baseball. Josh also forgot to mention that he actually strangled Maddie Clifton. This was found to be the first injury she sustained. She had been strangled for 15 minutes with an electrical cord. Not tight enough to kill her, but it did leave a mark and was enough to have her struggling to breathe. He then hit her over the head with the baseball bat. He was interrupted by hearing his father arrive home. It is believed that he thought she was dead at this point and put her under the bed. He ran downstairs to greet his father. When returning back to his room, he heard Maddie moaning in pain from under the bed. He pulled her back out from under the bed and began to stab her with the penknife in the neck and the chest 11 times. Two times in the neck, nine times in the torso. He then put her back under his bed. So that little that little blurb is what police ended up um, thinking what happened based off of the evidence that was found on her body also the timeline of, I guess, her time of death, also his dad arriving home. This is what they have put together. One thing not mentioned yet is that she was found almost completely naked. She had on her socks and her t-shirt, but the t-shirt was rolled up to the neck. There was no evidence of sexual assault, but that does not mean that it was not attempted or sexually motivated. Police had seized his computer and found that 30 minutes prior to the murder, he had been watching porn, and 30 minutes after he watched it again. It was violent and child porn. Josh's reasoning for Maddie having barely any clothes on is that when he put her under the bed, they had rolled or slipped off. First the shorts, then the underwear, then the shoes. The clothes were found by the wall farther than her body. Her t-shirt had no holes. He then went and joined the search. When asked by police what he planned to do, he said he didn't have any plans. I was just going to ignore it. Yeah, that honestly makes no sense. How, how do your shorts come off before your shoes? How do your underwear come off before your shoes? Like, bro, come on. Come on. Okay, so now what I'm going to read is um what Maddie's parents think happened to Maddie. So we have three three points of views, I guess you could say. Not points of views, but three th- theories. I don't know. Maddie's parents believe she was lured in by Josh for the purpose of killing her. She knew she was banned from talking to him and was a good kid who followed the rules. So why would she knock on his door in the first place and ask him to play? Josh's backyard is also fully taken up by a pool. So how would they have played baseball back there? There was no injury to the head from a baseball. Josh also said he dragged her in the house after hitting her with the baseball. Yet there was no dirt, leaves, grass, or anything on her that would have made that true. They believed when leaving her house without the golf balls, she saw Josh outside, probably waiting for her, and asked if he had any, knowing he would. Any as in golf balls. He probably said yes in his room, and if she wanted them, she had to go get them. They believe his initial plan was to sexually assault her, explaining why she had no clothes on. She most likely started to scream, freaking out, and trying to get away. He knew if she did get away, he would be in trouble, so he panicked and killed her. So that was the end of what the parents believe happened initially, and then all the evidence showed what ended up actually happening. So that was what they think happened to her. We're not going to get into the aftermath of what happened after Maddie was found. So he ended up being charged with murder after all the evidence was gathered. Even though he was only 14 at the time, he was tried as an adult. Good. He escaped being executed due to his age. They said 
had he been 18, they would have tried to get him the death penalty. Most of the trial did focus on his infatuation with Jesse. She was unaware that he even liked her in the first place and had done some of what he did, like take her photo. She was not allowed by her parents in the courtroom because of her age and what would have been shown, like as in evidence and photos and all that. But it is believed that he did this to Maddie out of frustration for his feelings for Jesse not being reciprocated. He pled not guilty even after confessing to killing her. He was found guilty with life in prison without the possibility of parole. He said he blames his father that he normalized violence and was angry and violent, especially when he drank and he was scared of him. He would punch holes in the wall and was scared to do anything wrong. None of his family ever confirmed this. He is currently in prison, said to be a model inmate. He's got his GED, become Buddhist, completed his paralegal degree, helps other inmates form their appeals to get lesser sentences. In 2018, 10 years after the murder, he was asked to write an apology letter to the family, which he declined, stating that he would rather apologize in person, which they declined. Jesse, however, now older, wanted to sit down with Josh to get answers. They were getting all the paperwork ready, and then she stopped hearing from him. It's believed that when he fired his old legal team and got a new one, they advised him that this would not be a good plan. He has seen many psychologists and therapists who say he has changed. Even his family has stuck by his side this whole time, not saying he's innocent, just that his sentence was too harsh for a 14-year-old boy. He has tried to appeal his sentence, which was denied. He plans to appeal again in 2023. So that is the end of the story. It... I have no words. Honestly, I just don't. I know I say I find this stuff very fascinating. I think it's because I just don't understand how people's mind works. Like whenever you're watching a true crime case story, anything of those sorts, it just blows my mind. Like the whole nature versus nurture, like was his dad actually abusive? And if so, I still don't think that that gives you a right to turn into a goddamn murderer especially at 14. Like how, how is it? When I was 14, I, uh-uh, I couldn't even call the doctors on my own to make an appointment, let alone murder someone. Come on. I, I don't get it. And throughout, I didn't even mention this. Um, but when I was doing my research, it was even said how her parents, Maddie's parents were so just still like kind to Josh. His name was Josh, right? I already forgot. I just don't want to remember his name because I just want him to disappear. Yeah, Josh. When, like, the whole trial was happening, the parents were still so nice to Josh's parents, even though their son murdered their daughter. I would never, if someone ever, ever, uh, no, no, I would be on trial as well, because I would have killed somebody as well. Anyway, I don't know. I don't know. The, I I have no words. I don't know how to end this. <laughs> yeah. Again, I would just like to say I don't mean any disrespect to the family or anyone involved in the case. So that's the end of this week's episode. I know I'm a few hours late, but better late than ever. Am I right? Am I right, ladies? I shouldn't say ladies because I know a wide variety of people listen to us. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, If you have any suggestions, requests, comments, I don't know. I was trying to think of another word, but I just can't think on the spot like that. Send it to our Instagram over the topics. Let us know what you thought. If you have, like I said, requests for any other cases you want me to talk about. Hopefully, hopefully 
I will be accompanied by some other girls soon for this because I talking to myself, I can do it. We've talked about it. I can do it, but I'd rather do, talk to other people. You know, I, I'd like to say we're on, we're on track to have an episode with more than just me. So, um, hopefully that works out soon. I've talked to the other girls about it. We're getting things together. We're figuring out logistics oh god i don't know i'm not i didn't go to school for it come on now i went no Mm-mm. Mm-mm. okay thank you for listening i hope you enjoyed sorry it was just me again i don't want to say get used to it but also i don't want to be a liar so maybe get used to it maybe don't i don't know all right i'll see you later goodbye <laughs>